a few of you weird folks are out there. <laughs> you like school. It's hard, hard to believe. Okay, how many liked English class? Well, we know who liked English class because you're the one out there correcting everybody's grammar on Facebook, right? My wife is kind of one of those people. Anyway, I have to admit this morning, I've never been the greatest speller in the world. I never have. One time, and this is a true story, my wife was getting ready to go out of town on, to a women's conference. She's going to be gone a couple days. And she had put some quesadillas in the freezer uh, for me to heat up for dinner. And uh, she called me like the second night, and she says, well, how you doing? Um, um, uh, have you eaten dinner yet? And I said, no. And, and by the way, there's no quesadillas in the freezer. She goes, what? There has to be. I put them in there. I go, I look. They're not in there. She says, well, why? I've got you on the phone. Take the phone and go out in the garage, open the freezer door, and I'll show you where they're at. So I went out there, opened the freezer door up, and, you know, looked and looked, and I said, smugly, I said, they're not in here. There's no quesadillas in here at all. Then all of a sudden, there was silence on the phone, and she said, Dwayne, you do know that quesadilla is spelled with a Q and not a K or a C. <laughs> Let me look again. <laughs> I saw some quesadillas in there, but I didn't see any quesadillas. They were right there the whole time. Reminds me of another joke I heard about a teacher who was grading her class's assignment, and they were assigned to write a poem. Well, she came in, and she gave Johnny's paper back to him, and she said, Johnny, this poem is the worst in the class. Um, your grammar's horrible. It's rude. It's in bad taste. I'm going to send a note to your dad and tell him about it. He said, well, go ahead, teacher. It won't bother him. He wrote it. <laughs> Today, we're continuing on with our sermon series called Identity where we're looking at who we are in Christ. Today we're going to be in Ephesians chapter 3, if you have your Bibles. If not, we'll have the Scriptures on the screen. But before we dive into it, I want to point out something that the Apostle Paul did that would drive any grammar teacher crazy. Um, it's at the beginning of this letter that he's writing to the Ephesians. And Paul starts a sentence, and then right in the middle of that sentence, he kind of gets sidetracked. Let me read Ephesians chapter 3, verse 1 to you. For this reason, Paul says, I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, for the sake of you Gentiles. He starts with that, but then he stops right there in mid-sentence and doesn't finish his thought until verse 13. He starts out to say one thing, and then his mind opens up, his heart opens up, and he feels like he has to say something else. So for 12 verses, he seems to go on a tangent on another train of thought before he jumps back to his train of thought in verse 13. But if you take verse 1, what he says in verse 1, and you jump all the way down to verse 14, how he wraps it up, it's a pretty simple message. He basically um, says this. He says, for this reason, and then skip down to Paul knew that no matter how powerful Caesar was, he knew that Jesus was the one that controlled history. And bottom line is, he knew without a doubt Caesar wasn't in control. Jesus was. Amen? How many of you have ever been in a situation where you were real glad, you were real thankful that uh, Caesar, uh, Caesar wasn't in control? Amen? Caesar wasn't in control. The world wasn't in control. Jesus was. And the thing about Paul, he had been through so much, he understood something that I think all of us can relate to, but maybe not even on the level Paul relates to, but something called hardships. He knew that uh, he wasn't uh, 
that they're in prison because of God. He knew he was there because of uh, him telling about Jesus Christ and sharing his story. And he was more than willing to stay there as long as it would take, as long as he was reaching people for Christ. We'll come back to that thought in a minute. But I want to look at what Paul describes as this mystery this morning. He had special spiritual insight into the mystery of Christ. And up until this moment, before I read this scripture, and before he wrote this down, it was unheard of what he was about to say. Look what he says in verse 2. Surely, and he's talking to the Gentiles, remember this. Surely you have heard about the administration of God's grace that was given to me for you. That is the mystery made known to me by revelation. So he was taught personally and directly by Jesus Christ. He says, as I have already written briefly, in reading this, then you will be able to understand my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to people in other generations as it has now been revealed by the Spirit to God's holy apostles and God's holy prophets. It's like a good mystery novel or a movie. I mean, the clues are in the show or the book all along, but a lot of times until you get to the end of the book or the end of the movie, you don't see how all the pieces come together. Well, this mystery was hidden. Up until this moment, it had been hidden, not because God wanted to keep anything from his people, but because he was waiting for his perfect timing. How many know God has a perfect timing? Amen? Look what he says in verse 6. This mystery is that through the gospel, the Gentiles are heirs together with Israel, members together of one body, and sharers together in the promise in Jesus Christ. The mystery, when you break it down, is simply that we are all one in Christ. People from previous generations had heard about this coming Messiah, but they all just assumed that he was going to be a Messiah for the Jews alone. And the Jews thought that for sure. They thought, we're always going to be in the in crowd. We're always going to be God's chosen people. And the Gentiles just assumed we're always going to be outsiders. But then Paul comes and writes what I've just, written, what I've just read. And, and all of a sudden, these Gentiles that were outsiders are all of a sudden brought in. They're insiders. They've been included. It's kind of like years ago when we first started our uh, Victory Church motorcycle group here at uh, uh, the church, Victory Riders, we started it uh, way back in 2012, I think, and I was riding a 1984 Goldwing. It was a Honda, and um, a lot of the guys had these really cool Harleys. Oh, man, they sounded good. When they would rev them up, bah, 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 mine was zing, it was like a sewing machine. <laughs> I couldn't even tell when my motorcycle was on when I was around a, a crowd. If I revved it up real high, I could feel a little vibration. That was it. But I remember we went down to Lincoln Trail State Park, and we ate lunch on one of our rides at uh, the restaurant that sits right along the lake at the bottom of this big hill. We all had to ride down this big hill. We parked our bikes at the bottom of this big hill. We went in and had a great lunch. Uh, after lunch, we got ready to head back, and everybody went out, got on their bikes, and, and uh, started revving up their bikes, and all the Harley, rum, rum, rum. I'm wondering, is this thing on or not? I don't even know. They're revving up their bikes, and we've got to take off and go up this big hill. And uh, Cheryl, my wife, was with me riding that day, and she was taking pictures of the group like she does a lot of times, and she had her purse. So she's behind my bike. She's opened up the case. She's putting in her purse and her camera. And all of a sudden, I hear these Harleys, and they, and they go up the hill. I got caught up in the moment. I forgot Cheryl was behind me. 
I took off up the hill, the lid's still open on my case, she's standing there with a purse and a camera in her hand, shaking her head. I had to come back and get her, that wasn't pleasant, and Gary, <laughs> Gary Cook always reminds me of this story, he won't let me forget about it, but I got caught up in the moment. I wanted to be with that Harley group so bad that I just charged up the hill with them. I only said that because I say the Gentiles are a little bit like that. They've always been outsiders, but now they get a chance to ride the Harleys or they get a ride with the Harleys. They're now in the in crowd and no longer an outsider. And this was a really hard pill for the Jewish people to swallow because it hadn't been designed this way. It hadn't been uh, told this way before. And they had a really hard time believing that the Gentiles could become the family of God. You know, sometimes I think we have the disadvantage of knowing this from the beginning. If you've been to church any time in your life, you've heard that we were grafted in as the people of God a long time ago. Amen? We were. We became God's people. I think we don't appreciate it enough because we've always heard it. I think we take it for granted. And in fact, the Gentiles, you might say, have taken over the church. I mean, there are a whole lot fewer Jewish Christians than there are Gentile Christians out there today. But then I want to remember what Paul is stressing in the first place. You have to remember this. He's stressing the unity of the body of Christ, the unity of the church in Christ. Paul's going to talk about that more in uh, chapter 4. We'll get into that next week. But the key word in verse 6 here, he points out a word that repeats itself three times in a row. And anytime something is repeated in the Bible, God's trying to make a point. But I would say there's a lot that's divisive in our world today. Amen? There's a whole lot that's divisive in our world today. There's a lot that divides us as Christians today that shouldn't divide us, that divides churches that shouldn't divide churches, because to be in Christ is simply to be made one with all the rest of those who are made one in Christ, like it or not, right? Whether we have anything in common or not, whether we dress the same, speak the same language, uh, whatever. We get divided over so many small things but he says, you're one with everyone that claims Christ as Lord and Savior. So Paul is reminding us, as a church, don't be divided over these small, petty things. I have seen so many churches get divided over the kind of clothes you're supposed to wear, over the kind of music you're supposed to sing, whether you sing out of a hymnal or whether you sing off the walls, whether you um, um, do communion once a week or once a month or once a quarter. There's so many things that divide us that should not divide us, and I think Paul is trying to stress that. Don't get divided over the small things, but he also says be careful and don't unite with anyone or any church that doesn't claim and denies Jesus as being the Son of God. I mean, there are religions out there that at first glance, they may pass the look, the smell, and the field test of God's church, but if you look a little closer into their doctrine... A lot of them are not about Jesus Christ at all. That's a big red flag, amen? Because those are not his church if they're not claiming Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior of the world. Anyway, years ago, this reminds me of a time when early in my ministry, I was still working construction, had my construction business. I was building a uh, room addition for a guy, and that day I was working by myself, and it came up this big rain. So I jumped inside my work trailer just to get out of the rain, and I'm sitting there on a bucket looking out the side door of my trailer, and I had parked the work trailer right beside a grapevine trellis, and this grapevine was growing down the trellis, and I just started looking at that grapevine, 
And I looked a little closer and I realized there's not only one vine growing on that grapevine, there's another vine. And it's not a grapevine, it's a poison ivy vine. And I looked a little bit closer, and God kind of uses the everyday things in life to teach me lessons and show me things. But I started looking a little bit closer, and I noticed how that poison ivy vine wasn't just growing along the other vine. It was wrapping itself around that vine. And it was actually, I looked, it was choking out the grapevine. And it was choking out uh, the uh, vine. Uh, It was strangling it. It was choking it. And God just said, hey, look at that. That's what false doctrine does to my truth. It tries to choke out my truth. And if we're not watching carefully sometimes, it can happen and we don't even see it happening. I'm just saying I believe Paul is kind of warning us on this. But if you go back to verse 1, Paul says, I'm a prisoner. So he's in prison. Then in verse 13, he says, I ask you, therefore, not to be discouraged because of my sufferings for you, which are your glory. You know, I think a lot of times, especially the Christians in our country, We love being comfortable. How many love being comfortable? I love being comfortable. The only problem with that is we think being comfortable means that everything is going good in your life. And when everything is going good in your life, we think we're in the perfect will of God. We're in the perfect plan of God. That's not true. Because if you look over and over in the Bible, there are people after people who are in God's will, directly in God's will, but they're hurting. And they're crying out in the midst of their pain, in the midst of their grief, their sorrow, their suffering. And I believe Paul is wanting them and wanting us. Wanting them and wanting us to learn what he had to learn through his suffering. Here's what I see all the time happen when people go through suffering. All of a sudden they ask, why? And they ask a lot of why questions. Why did my husband leave? Why did I get cancer? Why did our unborn child die? Why can't we conceive and start a family? Why did I lose my job? Well, I wish I, as your pastor, could say, I've got a nice little tidy answer for every one of those to help you get through that situation, but I can't do that. The only thing I can do is be honest with you and say I don't know exactly why we have so much trouble in our life, but I do know there are some reasons that the Bible gives to tell us why we go through some hardships. In fact, in Ephesians chapter 3, the chapter that we're in today, Paul says there are three reasons why God allows things to happen, hardships, struggles, trials, and tests you're taking notes this morning the first one is for other people for other people did you know the troubles that you go through sometimes aren't even for yourself they're for other people can you imagine for a minute the headlines that could be on every news channel cnn fox news abc nbc cbs all of those talking about this amazing preacher being in jail I could just imagine the reports, the headlines. Have you heard about this pastor in jail? Well, he seems to think a man named Jesus is God and that we're all sinners and that we need a Savior. He seems to think that this man, Jesus, died and rose from the dead. Paul's getting a lot of attention. And he's getting attention because of where he's at. He's in prison. And the people were definitely starting to talk. And by word of mouth, guess what's happening with his message? It's getting out there. His message is getting out there. And I believe Paul... He's probably sitting in his prison cell thinking, well, don't have a whole lot else to do here. Uh, uh, How about giving me a pen, and I'm going to write some Bible. And he starts writing some Bible, and do you realize that was thousands of years ago, but you and I are still benefiting from that today? You and I are still benefiting. He's still encouraging you and I today with what we go through. So in the middle of Paul's prison sentence, he didn't waste it. He didn't waste that time. He used it for God's glory, and he provides a word of encouragement. 
And I think a lot of times I see people that go through hardships, trials, and tests, and when they, they come through those trials victorious by the grace of God, all of a sudden people, when they hear their story, when they hear their testimony, all of a sudden it lifts their hearts. All of a sudden it lifts their spirits and they realize, wow, God could do that. That's amazing. Paul just was speaking out of his experiences in his life. And those people begin to trust. When you go through something and God brings you something, guess what that does? That gives you some credibility. Actually, that doesn't give you the credibility if you're following him. It gives him the credibility, right? That you trust in him, that he's the one that brought you through. It's people that tell an amazing story like Corey Ten Boom. Remember her? She survived the Holocaust. How about Misty Wallace? She was at this church a couple of years ago. She was the one, the lady that got shot in the face and left for dead. And then a couple of years later, she met her shooter and she forgave her shooter. And now they go traveling all over the country uh, ministering a, a ministry of forgiveness so many people have overcome years of physical abuse, sexual abuse, all kinds of abuse. And now they're telling their story. Joyce Myers and other great evangelists are out there telling how they were emotionally broken. They were mentally broken and God brought a healing into their life. There are countless people. And there are countless people in this room that we all have a story to tell. So this morning, my question for every one of us, including myself, is how can we use our hardship to bring someone else to Christ? How can you and I bring what we've had to endure and what God brought us to to bring someone else to Christ? And for those of you that have been afflicted, you've got a powerful testimony. Whether you're telling it or not yet or not, but God can use it because you have a powerful testimony that will give Him glory if He's brought you through something and He's brought every one of us through a whole lot of stuff. Amen? So this morning, I know your hardships have cost you a lot. But do you realize that God wants to use your pain for a greater good? God wants to use those things that you have endured and made it through by His grace, by His power and strength. He's going to use your pain for His gain. Amen? He's going to use your pain for His glory and for some greater good. So I would say this. Why do we waste our hurts? Why are we wasting our hurts? Why are we keeping our hurts to ourselves that a lot of times just make us hurt more? Why don't we share them with other people? Why don't we invest what God has done in our lives when He brought us through that pain, that time of suffering? Because you may not realize that your pain and your hurt is meaningful. It's valuable, and it has a purpose, and you paid a steep price for it. I believe God is telling every one of us here, don't waste it. Invest it. Invest it in other people. So let me ask you, what are you going through today? What have you been through? What are you going through? What is God trying to teach you through that hard time that you're going through? God's saying, don't waste it. It could be the beginning of a brand new ministry for you. Do you realize sometimes the most powerful ministries are born out of our deepest adversities, our deepest sufferings and afflictions? Like someone that has gone through something, as I said a minute ago, they go through it, they're victorious through it by God's strength and power. They start sharing with others what God has done. You're going to have some people say, God did that for you? Wow, he did that for you. Can he do that for me? Can you help me? So it brings out my point. Sometimes we are afflicted for the good of others. The second reason God allows hardships to come into our lives, if you're taking notes, we go through things for our own growth. I love what uh, James 
says in James chapter 1, verse 2. He says, consider it pure joy, my brothers, when you face trials of many kinds. First of all, that goes against our human nature 100%. But he says this, consider it pure joy, my brothers, when you face trials of many kinds, because you know the testing of your faith develops perseverance. Perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. There's a whole lot in that scripture. God's not wasting anything. I read recently about this certain species of sycamore tree that has a fig-like fruit on it, but I found out it's kind of crazy. This fig will not ripen unless it's been wounded, unless it's been bruised, unless it's been crushed, unless it's been nicked. Then it can ripen. And I thought, how true is that for our lives? Think about it. There are a whole lot of areas in our lives, fruit that's to be born out of our lives, that will not ripen unless we go through some struggles, unless we go through some hardships. And the truth is, the Lord has a goal in mind, and He knows how to achieve that goal. But I'll just say this, I believe He's maturing us and ripening us as His people, sometimes from the inside out. That's not always real pleasant, but a lot of times He's ripening us, maturing us from the inside out. Have you ever heard someone say, and I know you have, I had to learn that the hard way. That's an old saying, but it's so true. If someone tells you about something, you're never going to fully, fully appreciate it when they just tell you about it until you go through it for yourself and until you deal with the consequences behind that something. You're not going to really fully understand and appreciate what has happened. Some things you can learn from a book, that's awesome. But some things spiritually, you're only going to learn by hardship. Sad to say, maybe, but you're only going to learn by trials and tests. And it's because trials and tests bring us to our knees. Amen? It does me. When you go through hard times, it brings you to your knees. It brings you to your comforter, who is Jesus Christ. And I've seen this play out in my life over and over again. When I go through a hard time, man, I hit my knees. And I'm praying. And I'm opening up my word. And I'm seeking God. And my prayers are overflowing. And I'm thinking, well, how does it work when things are going good in life? Not as well. I wish I could say I had that same old passion when things are going good in life, to seek God, to read His Word, and, and uh, trust Him. But if you're like me, we don't, right? We just don't. When things are going good, we don't seem to be as passionate about Him as we are sometimes when we're going through the hardest times of our life. I love this little quote by Paul Little, uh, an author of Paul Little. He says, God knows there are things to be accomplished in our character that can only be accomplished through suffering. To shield us from suffering would rob us of the greater good. To shield us from our suffering would rob us from the greater good. Do you realize that if even God shielded us from our suffering, it would rob us from something that He wants to do that's bigger? I mean, it's true. When we go through things, we can grow through things. Amen? And I believe that's why God brings us through things. He lets us go through things so we can grow through things. And adversity, no matter what level it is, actually strengthens you. And it strengthens your faith. I mean, we can look back... God has done some amazing things in my life, and I look back and say, wow, God did that. Wow, God brought me through this. God brought me through that. And sometimes you probably met people and think, how in the world do you have such supernatural strong faith? Well, i tell you how they have that supernatural strong faith. It's because they realized it was God that brought them through it, and now they trust Him. God has brought them through it, and their faith through it has been strengthened. So with that said, I'd say... 
the area that you're experiencing the most adversity in is probably the area that God wants to grow you the most and mature you the most spiritually in. And one day you and I are going to be able to look back and say, well, I never wanted this for my life. I would have never chosen this for my life, and I don't want anyone else to ever go through this in my, their life. But I wouldn't trade it for the world. I wouldn't trade it for the world because I learned through it so much more about Jesus Christ. I learned so much more about how to be more like Jesus Christ. So I believe James, through that scripture, where he says, count it all joy, I believe he's trying to show us that we should cherish those hard times. How many know that's hard to do? But he's saying cherish those hard times of what we've been through because it changed us. It transformed us. It matured us. It helped us to grow. The third reason uh, God allows hardships is for God's glory. It's for God's glory. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 10. It says that, so, that through the church, guess who that is? That's us together, the corporate body of believers. The manifold wisdom of God might now be made known. You may not realize it, but I believe we need to look at adversity as opportunities. Look at adversity as opportunities instead of obstacles. Amen? So that through the church, that's you and I, we have a part to play. The manifold wisdom of God would be made known. God uses hardships to reveal who He is, who He wants to be, and who He wants us to be. There's a man by the name of uh, Nick Vujicic, I think that's how you pronounce it. He came into this world without, born without arms or legs. He struggled at school with other students who bullied him, who made fun of him, who rejected him. And he said at, the stage, at that stage in his childhood, he said, I could understand the love of God up to a point. But he still said, I, got, I still got hung up on the fact that if God loved me so much, why would he allow me to be born this way? He said, I started wondering if I had done something wrong, and I started believing that maybe I had. Nick struggled with suicidal thoughts until one day when he was 15 years old, and he read where it says in John 9, a blind man was born blind. The, disciple asked, uh, the disciples asked Jesus in the story, John 9, verse 2, Rabbi, who sinned this man or his parents that he was born blind? Neither this man nor his parents sinned, said Jesus, but this happened so that the works of God might be displayed in him. Well, when Nick heard that, his whole heart changed. He opened it up, received Christ into his life. Now at 37 years of age, he's a Christian evangelist. He's traveling all over the world as a motivational speaker, telling his story. Nick said that due to his emotional struggles that he had gone through and experienced, the bullying, the self-esteem issues, the loneliness, Nick says God began to deal with his heart began to give, give him a passion to tell his story to others to help them get through whatever challenges they were going through in life. And he said, turning my struggles into something that God could use and that would bless other people, all of a sudden I realized my life really did have purpose. He said, I realized the Lord was going to use me to encourage and inspire others to not give up on their dreams, not give up on their hopes no matter what they're facing. He says, God's purpose became clearer to him. He said, now I'm fully convinced and understand that his glory is revealed in me just as I am. Just as he is. And he goes on and says, and even more wonderful, he can use me in ways others can't be used. Think about that story. How powerful it is. He could have given up, but he didn't. He heard the word of God. 
And he found out that him being born that way was for a bigger purpose. And he didn't waste it. As hard as that would be, I can't even imagine being in that condition. He didn't waste it. He used it. He went full speed ahead with God's help. Well, think about Moses and what he went through when he was trying to bring the children of Israel out of Egyptian slavery. I mean, he had to go through a lot of hardship that was put on him by Pharaoh himself who wasn't about to let God's people go. But it was only through Pharaoh's hardened heart. God hardened Pharaoh's heart. And the trials that Pharaoh threw at Moses that God's people got to experience the Almighty God and His power in a way that they would have never, ever experienced it. I believe this morning, every one of us in this room today, God wants to show us His amazing power, His almighty power working in our life, but it's only going to happen in a lot of cases by us going through some trials, only going to happen by us going through some hardships. Think about it. If life was perfect, we wouldn't need God. If life was perfect, we wouldn't need God, but God allows these things to happen in our lives to reveal who He is and who He wants to be in our lives. I'm going to close with uh, verse 13 again. I've been kind of hitting on this scripture, but he says, I ask you, therefore, not to be discouraged. I love the New Living Translation. It says, don't lose heart because of my sufferings for you, which are your glory. In the middle of my trials and tests that I've been through, you know, sometimes I deliberately have to step back and remember. Remember that I'm only seeing part of the story. I'm only seeing a little bit of the story. And the Bible says His ways, if you remember, are higher than our ways. His understanding is greater than our understanding. His infinite wisdom is a whole lot greater than my finite knowledge. And my finite knowledge, and as wise as I ever get, I'll never even hold a candle to who God is. The truth is, even through our suffering, God can be glorified. Amen? Even through our hardships, our struggles, and our trials, Think about some characters in the Bible. I don't know anybody that went through any more as a Bible character than Job. Remember what Job lost? He lost ten children to start off with. He lost his health. He lost his wealth. Remember what Paul lost? He lost his health. He lost his freedom. And later he lost his head. Naomi lost a husband and two sons. Jesus was beaten and crucified and died. And ultimately every one of those people... What happened to them brought glory to God. Do you realize what can happen when your life starts bringing glory to God? It can change everything. Emotions can be healed. Relationships can be healed. Fears can disappear. Hope can rise up in your life where you were hopeless before. Peace, joy, and love can grow in measures you never even imagined. And faith can flourish in hearts and minds like you never even thought possible. So how can you use your hardships? How can you trust God? When everything goes wrong, I think it's simply by realizing that when you're going through a trial and a test and a hardship, God is going to use that for His greater good. God is going to use that for a greater good than you can ever imagine. How many know this life is not just this life, it's far beyond this life? And how many know that God says He's going to be with us and He's going to be for us through whatever we go through? And the only thing that you and I have to do, our part to play, is to trust Him. Put our trust in Him today and forever. So when you're going through something, okay, this afternoon. I started to give you the chance to say it'll be tomorrow. It might be this afternoon. When you go through something, whenever it comes, how about looking at, in a, at, at it in a different light? How about looking and saying, how can God use this to bring somebody to Jesus Christ? How can God use this to do something bigger than I could ever even imagine?
imagine. How can God use this? Could this trial be the very reason somebody comes to Christ, somebody experiences the love of God on a level that they've never felt before? But maybe it's just for you personally, for you to grow spiritually. But my big thing today is I want to ask you, will you allow God to use you in however He wants to use you in whatever hardship you have to go through to do something that will glorify His name? And finally, the biggest question of all, will we trust Him? Will we trust Him together? Could you stand to your feet this morning? Your trial is for a purpose. God tells us that even though we go through these trials, He's still in our trials. He's still in our test. He still has a purpose. Your test has meaning. It has value. So this morning, as I pray, I just want you to realize that if you're in the middle of a struggle right now, God can do something huge with your struggle. And in fact, you might be in that struggle because God wants to do something huge. So Father God, in the name of Jesus Christ, with every head bowed, every eye closed, Father God, we thank you for this opportunity to hear your word. I thank you for your opportunity that you've given me to preach your word. I ask that your Holy Spirit would be with us today, move among us, comfort those that are lonely and hurting and those that have a broken heart. Lord, I pray you'd give us hope for those that have lost hope. Give hope to those who are losing heart today. I pray for us as a people that we would draw closer to your heart than ever before. Lord Jesus, we thank you that in this world that's so filled with affliction, we thank you, Lord God, that we worship a God who's not immune to our affliction. He's not a God that stayed far from our affliction, who wanted nothing to do with our affliction. No, he got right down into it in his son, Jesus Christ, who bore the sins of the world upon himself. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you suffered and were afflicted for us. And so we thank you, Lord Jesus, that you rose from the grave. And I thank you for the promise that there is a kingdom coming. One of these days, there is a kingdom coming that's full of grace, that's full of peace. There's a day coming when all of our questions are going to be answered, when all of our tears are going to be wiped from our eyes, and this life as we know it will be no more. We're going to eternally enjoy you. We're going to eternally enjoy those loved ones that have gone on before us. We're going to eternally enjoy the world as you created it to be in the beginning before sin corrupted it. So, Father God, I thank you and ask you to help us endure our struggles and our hardships with a new outlook. Help us to endure it with your grace, with your strength, and your perfect peace. In the mighty name of Jesus, and everyone said, Amen. Amen. God bless you all. Have a great week.